0: I'm Gab. He's Jules. We know what the weather is in West London because I was just sent a video and it's snowing hey, right now. Not, not snowing, snowing here because we're in Doha. But, Jules, this is big. The semi-finals coming up. We have our final four. We're going to get into that. France are still alive. There you go. And they'll be playing Morocco in that semifinal. Of course, the other semifinal, uh, Croatia and Lionel Messi's Argentina. We're going to get into all that. Um, But let's start at the top. England beating France. Now, I have a confession to make.
1: France beating England, Jimmy. Oh,
0: yeah, Freudian there. But in terms of performance on the pitch, as we saw, that might be a bit debatable. It was interesting. You were nervous beforehand. You told me privately that beneath the whole bravado and French (laughs) insouciance and whatever... (laughs) You're like, oh, I think we're going to lose to England. Yeah. This is funny because our colleague James Ollie, who is extremely tall and therefore extremely wise, yeah. what did he say? He says, no, nah, mate, England are going out. You know why? Because England, whatever, England haven't won a knockout World Cup knockout game uh, away from Wembley since whatever, 19 or maybe even ever. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like, know. It's a long, long time. A long, right? long time ago. So that made me think. Is it really is it really going to be like that?
1: However, Arthur England were the better side, I have to be honest here. You know, I'm, I'm We were at the game and and from what I saw from England was very good, I have to say. The French took the lead, obviously, early on. I think it was a a nervy first 15 minutes from England. But after that, they took control of the game. Between the the 15th minute and the 75th minute, they were really on top. And they were really putting France under pressure. And I was was struggling in the stand, I won't lie. I was like, (laughs) Kane scored the penalty straight after the break to make it 1-1. And then at that time, it looked like they were going to go and win it. And only them could go and win it and we can talk about southgate a little bit more later but i thought he didn't really capitalize on that very strong period for, for for the england team because they were on top we were on this we were really struggling and i think had he made a few changes there maybe taken henderson back out earlier instead of leaving him on the pitch until the 79th minute i think something else could have happened for england instead at some point, the French kind of regained a bit, bit of momentum and scored that second goal, which was an amazing goal. And then you still had another chance with Kane to take that penalty and, and level the score. Yeah, we're going to get to that.
0: Uh, what struck me about this was, was Didier Deschamps' reaction because, obviously, there was the bright start from France. There was the early goal. And I thought to myself, OK, Didier, you've got two options here. You're going to be 1998... sorry. 1998. If only. You're going to be 2018, Didier, and be like, alright, let's make England chase us, let's sit, and let's go and, you know, release the Mbappe uh, on the wing, and and we're done. Maybe we get another one, maybe we don't. But Gareth Southgate's going to be scared of the threat of Mbappe over the top, so England aren't going to, to put us under as much pressure, and when they do, they're going to find a defensive wall. I, I thought he was going to do that, The alternative would have been, no, I'm gonna be positive. I've got Griezmann in my midfield, I've got ballers, we're going to, to to play higher up the pitch. Instead I felt like I felt like it was like an in between thing.
1: Yeah, a bit yeah.
0: And and England really capitalized on that. Yeah. I mean England looked
1: like the accomplished side out there, and France felt like like the smaller team. Especially in the second half, because I thought the first half was quite was too predictable. Chouameni was on Bellingham, Rabiot was on Henderson. On Rice, you had either Giroud or Griezmann coming and do that kind of work. And then England didn't really create enough. Once Super made that mistake, and Kane had that shot that Lloris saved. Then the penalty shout that the foul was clearly out of the box. That's why outside of the box. That's why it was not given as a penalty. But apart from that, I thought it was a bit predictable from England and quite comfortable for France. The second half. However, it was very different early goal from that first Kane penalty. And then it was wave after wave. The Maguire header, the Bellingham volley, uh, the, the, the show cross that Theo kind of like put out and Saka behind him. All of that, I thought France then now have to show some resilience, have to show some mental strength, have to be ruthless in the sense that let's not concede and then we will have one more chance and we'll have to make it count. And that's exactly what they did.
0: Let's talk about actually first the the foul that was outside the box. I don't think there's any question it was outside the box. But just to be clear, just to explain to to viewers who might be wondering, it was obviously very close, but VAR cannot... There's two elements of this, right? There's the was it a foul and was it inside the box element. VAR decide if it was in the box or not. They can decide this on their own, and it's definitive because that's considered an objective... Uh, an objective issue. Yeah. Once they've decided that it's outside the box, they can't ask the referee to come and look and decide and overrule them, whether it was inside or outside. And that's why when people say, Oh, did it go to VAR? Did it not go to VAR? Was it wasn't an off-field review. Like VAR is checking everything, right? There's four dudes up there, five dudes, even five. Yeah. Right. We'll <laughs> each explain to us.
1: Um, but do you understand the criticism from the English players and the English media to against the referee? Did you feel the referee had such a bad game?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a big decision. Now, obviously, they might have felt it was in the box. But it's not the referee on the field judges it to be well, he judges it to be not a foul, actually. But um, but he almost kind of I thought that was one incident where. He almost kind of left it to the VAR, as as he certainly did with Teo Hernandez on Mason Mount, right? Uh, You know, I don't even know. I mean, I think he could have easily called it on the field, but maybe he chose not to. I I don't think there was such an issue with officiating in this game. I I genuinely, I, I, you know, I think he did. I I think just complained a lot. I, I think he did whistle. He let a little too many things grow. And I think that could be a criticism of him. Yeah. But then again, where you get the opposite, when you've got referees showing too many cards, yes, I'm looking at you, Mateo LaRos, or when you have you know every little thing is a foul, you get the opposite, right? He's not letting the game flow, blah blah blah, you know. So is so, it I mean did did you
1: did After you think there was, he there was a few calls that I thought and you could see the frustration from the England players? Around the referee through the whole game, pretty much. Maguire said after the game that in the first 10 minutes there were five or six fouls from from French players, no yellow cards, that kind of stuff, which I can maybe understand. I think it was it was a bit of the trend this week to complain about referee. Pep did it with Portugal. Mm, we'll be to Obviously, that. Argentina and the Netherlands did it as well. The English a bit last night. What I thought though, and that kind of is related to the referees that Arthur England let the emotions sort of like kind of overwhelm them and you look at Bellingham he was he's an amazing talent he was very good I thought last night but every time the ref was was giving a foul against him or a foul against England. He was going mad. He was like this. He was shaking his head. He was, and I really felt that the emotion got to them. And I think in a game like that, that is so tight, when there's really not much between the two teams and it's a quarterfinal of the World Cup, you can't let the emotions almost overriding you, if you see what I mean. You need to almost cut the emotions out. And then you... And I treat that game as something so ruthless, like whether it's against you or for you, the fight, it doesn't matter so much. You've moved on already. You, you forgot. You're, going, you're in position. If, yeah. the, if the fight is against you, if the fight is for you, you have already thinking about what you're going to do with the ball. And I thought England didn't deal with that at all.
0: So uh, a theory was, was put out by, by a colleague of ours, Tim Vickery, who was based in Brazil, that this uh, particular referee is somebody who has a reputation in, in South America for actually calling calling a lot of fouls, calling a lot of contact and stuff like that. He comes into a World Cup environment where I think we've seen the trend around Europe um, and with FIFA as well. Yeah. Is no, let the game flow. Don't call little ticky tacky fouls. And maybe he exaggerated too much in that direction.
1: Maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I mean, that could be an explanation. Uh, uh, did you feel that England missed? I, I, this is the other impression I got. And again, you were there. I only saw this on television, but. England missed the width of the fullbacks that they would normally get. Now, with Walker, we can understand a little bit because, obviously, he's up against Kylian Mbappe. On the other flank, arguably as well, Shaw's got to deal with Dembele. But that kind of robbed England a little bit of the regular overlap of of the overload in midfield.
1: Yeah, a little bit. There's that cross from Shaw in the second half that we mentioned before that Theo puts out for a corner with Saka just behind him. Maybe, I think we knew before that Walker was not going to do at all any of that uh, because he was clearly too busy with Kylian. And by the way, I think that the first France goal, in a way, is the result of that like, over, um, like, over-focusing on Kylian Mbappe yeah. and the defending because there's three it, players that goes, that goes and try to close him down when so Lupamicano recovers the ball.
0: Walker was almost never left one-on-one with And when he was in the second half,
1: Kylian outpaced him.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, Walker, I thought, played an exceptional yeah, yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. And really, that was the only time I felt that Mbappe beat him. And look, yeah, let's yeah. not forget, we can debate who's quicker, whatever. Mbappe's also 10 years younger or, or thereabouts, than yeah, like Kyle completely. Walker. So whatever. I did feel as if this is the threat. Let's go and double. And that was another thing. If you know they're always taking an extra man... Why not switch it up more often to Dembele on the other yeah, side? No, maybe. Or go through the middle. And I thought one of the reasons, you know, Antoine Griezmann, I thought was praised to high heaven. I think a lot of people had him as, as man of the match, although my man of the match, of course, will always be Olivier Giroud. Yeah. But um, I thought also that focus on that side gave Griezmann more space in the middle. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. And just to go back quickly on that goal, Rice, Bellingham, and Walker all chasing Dan Killian, who still manages to get out of that three, Rassi then too short. And then the ball goes wide, as you just mentioned, comes back onto Chouameni, who shoots and scores. And Bellingham is maybe half a second late and the ball goes between his legs because I think that move from Kylian Mbappe just unbalanced completely the whole team. Like, they were all over the place for 30 seconds, maybe, but that was enough for France to score. So, yes, they kept Kylian Kylian quiet. And by doing that, you meant no walker going forward. But you're right, I think Shaw could have done a little bit more, but maybe they were also a bit scared of, of Dembele on the other side.
0: Uh, I going to get the Kane penalty. In the- Actually, no, let's talk about Kane penalty now. We don't want to talk about substitutions, your favorite subject. Oh, my God. Um,
1: yeah, please get me started on that.
0: So much debate on, on my television here in Qatar and on BN Sport afterwards, especially one guy in particular, going on and on about how it was a mistake to let Harry Kane take another penalty against Hugo Yoris. right? Now, I guess the logic is they're club teammates, and so they know each other. But he really made one penalty. Well, I, is this a rule in football? I don't understand that. No, I don't think so. You, you need you. to change him. If you're playing against a club team and he scored one penalty, somebody else has taken another penalty? Is, is this some unwritten rule I'm not familiar with?
1: No, no, no. I agree with you. I don't think there was even a debate on like who should take that second penalty. So it was only here. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> only okay. well, that guy being sport. I didn't watch being sport, so I don't know. <laughs> but even re-watching the game this morning, I was like, I don't think there's any problem. You don't see any England player. You don't see Salgate doing something. Clearly, the pen is the pen. Kane takes the ball. And by the way, Kane doesn't play for Frankfurt, does he? Because two well. months ago in the Champions League, he scored a pen in the game. And then right at the, at the end, 90th minute, he's got a second pen and he blasted, over, he blasted it over the bar exactly like he did yesterday. So I, I don't think it's anything to do with Loris being in front of him. I just think that maybe, to do it twice in two months, it's a bit. So maybe, maybe he didn't deal well with that kind of pressure of taking another play. And that game against Frankfurt, they were 3-2 up with a few sec- like a minute to go, so they would have won the game anyway. They won it 3-2 instead of 4-2, had he scored. But I don't think that's got anything to do with Loris. It, However, I can see that it's, it must be difficult to shoot against someone who knows you so well, who's been your friend for 10 years, who trains with you every day, I get it. But... He knows Lloris as well. He knows where Lloris is. Lloris 100% dies. he
0: knows Lloris. And the other thing is, you know, I'm going to lift the lid on a secret here. It's not like professional footballers spend their time taking penalties against each That's other. That's true. So to me, it's, you know, it, it is kind of non. In fact, it's more likely, I would assume, that Kane at club level would probably take Penalties against a backup goalkeeper, Ute oh, goalkeeper. Yeah, goalkeeper, and Yordi yeah. would probably be training himself with a, a goalkeeping Compl- coach taking penalties against them. Right? Completely. I, that's completely. kind of the way. it's kind of the way professional football works. Yeah, completely. Um, substitutions. Bukayo Saka, I thought was maybe England's best player, or, he was. or right up there. I agree. Were you surprised that he was the guy to come off?
1: Completely. I mean, there were talks after that that maybe he was injured, that he picked up an injury. I have said I didn't see it on the pitch. And that substitution from Saka bothered me massively. But what bothered me the most, Gabi, is that Raheem Sterling replaced him. Now, I've got nothing against Raheem Sterling. I think he's an amazing player. But what on earth would you bring on someone in a game like this when you've just considered the second goal, so you 2-1 down, someone who spent five days in London who's just flown over there from Doha to London seven hours, three, three hours difference in the, yeah. in the time difference, dealt with something that was quite traumatic to, to his family, clearly, because he felt the need to go back to London, has just come back back from London to Doha, seven hour flight, the more the other three hours back into the other way, had not trained or like, a little bit the day before the game, and you think it's a good idea, with all the players that you've got on your bench, to bring on Raheem Sterling for the last 20 minutes, 10 minutes of, of normal time and 10 minutes of added time? Really?
0: Yeah. I, and I would have thought at that stage, the obvious guy to bring on, and we saw him, at, I think he came on in injury time, was Jack Grealish. Exactly. For the simple idea, and look, I'm not having a go at Jack Grealish. This is part of the game. The logical, I, Jack Grealish gets the ball, what does he do? He goes, he puts his head down, he starts dribbling, he gets. He falls over, he gets fouled. And then you have a set piece, Yeah. right? And then you've got... People who can deliver the set piece well. You can bring up Maguire and his large head. You've got Harry Kane in there. You've got, you know, completely. You, you've got a threat in an area where, you know, France had Giroud, who I don't know if he said he was injured after the game, but he certainly, obviously, he battled all the way through. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, France defensively, set pieces, it's basically the center backs. Rabiot and Giroud, right? Yeah, that's right. England, many more weapons. They're a good set-piece team. <laughs> they created chances with them, with a stack, with their movement.
1: I, this really surprised me. It, it made no sense from Sadgate, and I don't want to pick on him because England played really well, and we're not here to criticize Sadgate. However, however, I just don't, at that level, every detail count. As we've been saying before in the preview, and the game was too tight. For Sadgate not to make an earlier substitution before the 79th minute when he was 2-1 down, was a mistake. To take off Saka was a mistake. To bring on Sterling was a mistake as well. And in the end, that might not have cost England the game. I don't know, we will never know. But those three moments there, I I felt were mistakes from Southgate and and showed once more, it's not the first time, once more, how much his in-game management is not good enough for that kind of level. It's as simple as that. Now
0: there's an interesting twist going on here, right? We live in England, we both lived there for a long, long time. And if you haven't lived there, you've heard about the tabloid press and how aggressive they can be and how they go and they destroy England uh, after every tournament, unless England win the tournament, which hasn't happened in my lifetime. uh, So, you know, most people's lifetime. This time around, the reaction is actually very positive about Southgate. Now, I think on the one hand, that shows a ton of maturity because they look at this and say, okay. England scored six against Iran. They had a bit of a stinker against the United States, but yeah. still, they didn't lose. Okay, Wales, you can only beat what's in front of you, right? They beat Senegal, which I don't think is a game to be taken for granted Definitely at all. no
1: And
0: then they get this far, and they outplay the world champions, you know, who are yeah, arguably really. a more talented side. Yeah. Uh, so that's all positive. I still think the English media, pre-Southgate, if they come back after a run like that they still get hammered they still get killed. This time around yeah, there's you know, so much positivity. Is it the English media that have grown up or is it the fact that Southgate is legitimately a nice guy, a classy guy, he says the right things?
1: Yeah, and I think he's pacified. He has pacified like, he made peace really between the tabloids especially and and the England camp, the England players—they are, I think, happier to talk to the media, for example, which before I think was was a chore, really. Let's be honest. They do s- stuff like they, they go and play darts together in the England camp. You know, a journalist against a player—all that kind of banter, if you want—which I think is, which I think is helping. Let's just not go over the board with all the niceness and all the positivity as well. Do because you think there's still criticism of,
0: of Southgate and, and the way and his choices in this game? Yeah. I, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, I, I think there's progress because we saw, I, I thought 2020 England were just exceptionally negative throughout the tournament. And yeah, they got to the final and the stupid thing where they said, oh, that's how France won a World Cup. Let's play the same way. I told you, this stuff does not work. That's no way. You can get lucky, but it doesn't work. That's true. I thought they played to their strengths a lot more. Um, I think Southgate's on a path. And if I were an England fan, I would definitely want Gareth Southgate to stay.
1: yeah i can understand that uh, you can see the progression there's no there's no doubt so so yeah they were just beaten by a team that if you don't kill that team off like england had the chance and didn't do it then they will come back and kill you off and i think that's exactly what the french show and i think that ruthlessness is what's missing a little bit now for england i think they're such a nice bunch and you said salgas is such a nice guy which is true i think to go and win something big now they need to be tougher. They have to be meaner. They have to make that to have that kind of killer instinct that that they, they clearly don't have. Otherwise we would have seen it last night. And I think the French, on the other hand, went far from perfect. Let's not forget there's no Conte, no Benzema, no Pogba. Uh, no I knew we we're gonna come up with all these. But how good guys. are we to go into the, f- the the last four in the semifinal <laughs> when we have half of the country missing? Come on.
0: Yeah, Conte, Benzema, and Pogba. Like I think two of those three guys have played what? Like three games more matter. than you have in the last matter.
1: year? It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Well, why don't you go further? There's no Jules Fontaine, there's no Raymond Coppa, there's no, no Michel They Patiné. were not available,
1: they were busy Apparently, this. No. Selling a little or a lot,
0: <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash gab jewels all lowercase go to shopify.com slash g-a-b-j-u-l-s now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash gab jewels Enough, England. How about some quick hits instead? Let's
1: go, Gab. Morocco defeat Portugal 1-0. Jules, the fairy tale continues. Incredible. I don't know what to say anymore. We didn't see them being able to do it again, to have another miracle, to upset another big team, big European team. We thought they were tired. We thought they were injured. We thought they couldn't do it with only half of their back four, and yet they go again, and it was probably even more convincing than against Spain because they scored a goal. They had chances. They frustrated Portugal and all their attacking power and all of that. Wow. I mean, I don't know what to say anymore. So I was at
0: this game, and obviously it it was tremendous, the the, the support from the Morocco fans and whatever else. Uh, Your man, Fernando Santos, not following our advice, not following my advice, puts in Gonzalo Ramos because, you know, you don't want to mess with the team that's winning. Yeah. Ramos was absolutely terrible. Dier. Uh you know what I, I thought he was worse than Yoga Costa in this game. And I know people gave Yoga Costa the lowest mark because he made the mistake yeah. on the goal. Which by the way, the, he made I thought Ruben Diaz didn't help either. Me too. I have to it's say. almost like Yoga Costa got all the mistake and Ruben <laughs> Diaz kind of was kind of giving a pass. I,
1: have to, I agree completely with you.
0: Um but well we'll get to Cristiano in a minute. But what struck me was and this is kind of a function of World Cup knockout football, and it's it's become really clear to me. One team goes a goal up, and then in the second half, it's no longer football, as yeah. we understand it. It's no longer about about formations and pressing and ebb and flow. No, you have one team sitting deep. They I don't. They didn't necessarily see it sit as deep as they did against Spain. No, but they're acting. You know, they're defending and trying to hit on the counter. That's that's kind of all that. That, that they're doing. They're not necessarily trying even to retain possession when they win it back. I'm talking about Morocco. And Portugal. It is just an absolute mess of attacking players. I, Bernardo Silva, who also had a very rough game, at one point, he's playing defensive midfielder. He is the last man. He's yeah, the man yeah. shielding the two centre-backs. Now, if there's a counter and big man runs through, do you think Bernardo Silva can foul him? He's not going to win the ball off him. Do you think he can even keep yeah. up with him? Uh, he just sent on so many attacks. Like, let me send on all my attacking players at once. Bruno Fernandes, do you know where he ends when he finishes the game? At right back. Yeah,
1: I saw, yeah. Do you
0: know where Joao Cancelo started the game? On the bench. Yeah, again? I, again, I don't want to be harsh or I want to make this all about Cristiano. We'll get but, to Cristiano. But you have to have a way of playing. You have to have a way of playing. It's, it's halftime. 45 minutes. We're goal down. We are more talented than the opposition. We're not going to turn this into a crazy free-for-all siege no, no. of the Alamo this early in the game because
1: it just makes no sense. But what we said from the beginning, Fernando Santos is a defensive coach. He's a conservative coach. You can't just switch and turn the light, like literally, literally turn the switch on and go, okay, let's attack now. Let's play nice, flowing football. The Switzerland game was a fluke. It was against a team that had lost all their bearings, they had players missing, that clearly their head coach made a wrong call tactically, and that was it. And Gonzalo Ramos was literally on fire. But you can't, if you don't work on it, if you don't work on your structure, if you don't work on how you can play with the ball with all your attacking talent, it's not just, it's not by just putting them all on the pitch that it's gonna happen. It's, that's not football for you. It looked to me, and I was only watching it on TV, but it looked to me like they almost didn't it was a pickup game. Portugal play the pickup game yeah. like, we, like we do in the park here with the ESPN people. Like, you would never played with each other before. Well, it's and you, worse
0: because when they play in the park here, they have somebody, you, yeah, giving true. all these instructions. And you press there, you cover him, double him. Exactly. Yeah, this is completely different.
1: And that, I promise you, Gabby, I don't know from you in the stadium, but for me, it looked like they didn't know each other, it, that they it, never, never played with each other before. How is that even possible? It was
0: absolute chaos. Now, obviously, they still had their chances because they're they're great players. But it occurred to me, even if... If Portugal were going to equalize, I'm like how are they going to play 30 minutes of extra time with Bruno at right back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. how is this
1: going to work? You know, I, yeah, I lost all all sort of shape and it 40. was
0: it was just such a letdown. Now they still had the chance at the end. Pep uh, yeah. missing at the far post. Cristiano I
1: as well. So who? Cristiano on that through ball. You know that it's the it first time, and Bruno makes. I a will good get step. to
0: that in a minute. Um, the Pep one, I thought, you know. I'm not going to blame him. The man is 40 years old. Um, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing with that chaos came this 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 nervy frenzy. Every 3 seconds, Joao Felix screaming, throwing his hands in the air, Bruno Fernandes doing that thing where he goes like this, yeah. like, like like he's going to go Hulkamaniac and rip his <laughs> shirt off. I I, I, I bep constantly with the referee blah always, blah blah. Always, blah. Always, always. I mean, guys, really? I know. Why don't you let your talent impose yourself on the opposition by turning it into, in, in, into a demolition derby? It served Morocco's purposes because okay. they have the crowd going, because you have Amrabat, who, again... So good. So, I, so good. Amrabat Unahi. I I, uh, uh, I I compared them to you know Castor and Pollux from Greek mythology. Those two guys are absolute monsters in the middle of the park. Inclusive. France, beware when you play those guys. Yeah, uh, I has so much quality. Yeah, Amrabat no. so much drive. Oh, but just, I I mean tremendous.
1: Yeah, and just the heart that they have, and just for I mean what this means for for African football to start with, first ever team to qualify for the semi of the World Cup. For Moroccan football, of course, as well for Arab football, too. To see that team doing so well, playing with so much heart, so much solidarity. For all the chouyas in the world, well done to you. I hope he stops in the semi-final, just so you know. Gab, Cristiano Ronaldo came on six minutes into the second half. Ten touches, one shot that we mentioned briefly before. And a lot of anger from Georgina, obviously, his wife and from his sister.
0: So... I wrote this in my piece. It's an excellent piece. It's on the website. It's very informative. <laughs> to check it out. Uh, I was struck by how calm Cristiano was when he went on. you remember the thing he used to do when he says, like, calma, eu sto aqui. You know, yeah. like, I'm here. Don't worry about it. Nothing to worry about. I really thought that's what he wanted to channel. I may have been giving him too much credit. I mean, I'm trying to get into his mind too much. He saw everybody else losing their mind. You know, Bruno Fernandez with... with, 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 with stuff coming out of his mouth and he's saying I'm going to be here, I'm going to be calm it'll come, this is my moment I'm yeah. going to score, I'm going to prove Fernando Santos wrong, we will prove the haters wrong and he just didn't get in the ball and the one pass that they got it, it was interesting because it, it was a pass from Bruno Fernandes deep in, deep in his new right back position in exactly. fact and, and I was curious because he beats the defender to the ball and I thought okay you could see he's getting to the ball first I'm like does he take a touch, or does he strike it first time? He struck it first time. Yeah. He struck it cleanly, but he struck it straight at, at Bruno. Yeah. And then when he went over to try to, you know, and then Bruno was quick on the scramble afterwards. Um, that was his moment. That was his moment. That was a exactly. shot. But again, I go back to this: ten touches. So you, Portugal, right, leaving aside the decision to drop him, which I, th- I said, you know, I think was a wrong decision to drop him in a game like this. But you give this guy 39 minutes plus injury time. You're attacking the whole time. And all you can do is give him 10 touches. I know.
1: I agree. I agree with you. This is all you can do. I agree with you. Yeah, completely. I agree with you completely. It's crazy. And he's sad. And then the, the tears afterwards, whether you, you think he... You know, he's he, out, like he pushed you a little bit or not, where you think he's genuine or not. This is not the point. This was his last ever World Cup match. This is not how you want, if you're Christian, well, you're no, no. Roger the Miller, ever.
0: So he's going to be 41 in 2026. Roger Come Miller on. was 42 when he played Come and on. scored for Cameroon in a World Cup match. So, so, well, I would he, love to
1: see that. I just don't I don't. It's interesting
0: because his face was just like a mask of calm, even at the final whistle. The final whistle, he turns around and he walks straight down. One of the... Um, one of the players, uh, uh, Dari, I think, the, the, the uh, Ashraf Dari, the centre-back, one of the Morocco players actually, they're all celebrating, he sees Cristiano, he stops, he puts his arms around him, tries to console him, Cristiano gives him a nod, uh, and then he just keeps walking, then this other guy, cameras I think might have missed this, some other guy who looked like he, he was a fan, who jumped in, starts running towards him. He's tackled by security guard, Cristiano kind of does a step. Otherwise, he does not break stride, goes straight down the tunnel. And I was struck by how calm he was. Now, I didn't see at the time the cameras in the tunnel showing him crying. He certainly kept it in. I think it was almost like he didn't want to give anybody the satisfaction. Yeah, 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 maybe. Now, plenty of Portugal players were very unhappy with the referee, Facundo Teo. Do they have a
1: point? So the point that Pep made, for example, he said, "How can an Argentinian referee, after what happened the night before uh, in the Argentina-Netherlands game, you know what Messi said, what all of them said, is allowed to referee that game?" Which I thought was a bit pushing it. I, I don't know why an Argentine. I, I don't know why. I don't know what that has got to do with him refereeing Portugal against Morocco, right? Yeah. Let me explain it. In Pep Land,
0: uh, there is a conspiracy for Lionel Messi to win this World Cup, and so. Uh, all the other referees are working hard to knock out all the best teams. Okay. Okay. Like I missed that. Portugal, I okay. guess. I missed that. Well Brazil, right? Knocked out. Not by an Argentine referee, but but uh England. Yeah, knocked out. Not yeah. by an
1: Argentine referee either. But okay, maybe. <laughs> However, I think the other good th- the other point that he made, and I thought this one was more valid, was that the second half was f- stopped was stop and go all the time because the ref was f- was, was blowing for a lot of fans, and maybe he could have let the game flow a little bit more, maybe, in, in, which would have been in favor of Portugal. And every- Sorry, why would
0: letting the game flow have been in Portugal's favor? I'm trying to understand Pep Light. And by the way, most of the time when you're involved, it's because you either foul somebody true. or because you act like a maniac and get in the referee's face afterwards. That's right. True. That's true. But how would it have I would have thought that actually with all the set-piece takers and everything that, that, that Portugal have, and with Morocco being, let's face it, the more physical of the two teams, I thought you'd want a referee well,
1: calling for fouls. they very foul. good set-pieces too. Uh, uh, up to the Pep chance, apart from that, they had dealt well with set-pieces too. So, I don't know. I, I thought maybe that, watching the second half on television, it felt like it was a bit stop and go, stop and go, and it's hard to then get a rhythm if you're Portugal when you're chasing a game, and that... Benefited massively from Morocco. But again, maybe in the stadium you had a different vibe about it, a different feel about it.
0: One right? guy got sent off in this game, and guess what? He's it's not Portuguese. He's Italian. You the other
1: day. Walid Qadir, I know. Yeah, who managed
0: to get. I was, I felt so bad for him. He's so upset. He he's comes on. His job is to run around. Yeah. Uh, that he can do. And he gets two yellow cards in the space of a minute. Oh, and the other dude. The one-on-one that he missed on on the counter, the the number 14. I'm blanking on his yeah, name. I apologize. Yeah, I do not remember
1: who he was either. He tried to chip it over Diogo Costa and well, missed it like, well, Dude, what are you doing? I do like, go around either,
0: so either go around him and score, or just take the ball
1: in the corner and <laughs> wait for Pepe to come and foul you. Exactly. You know, but exactly. whatever. Back to Ronaldo. He won his 196th cap to equal the world record, and he has suggested that he will continue. The world record was... Uh, from Bader, who played for Kuwait. Well,
0: but... no, 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 no. Not who played. Who played. Who played, and sorry. This he is plays. the interesting thing. So, by the way, obviously, before people jump on us, this is the men's record. Yes, sorry. The women's record, I believe, is Christine Sinclair, yeah. who I believe has 1,826 caps.
1: And 1,700 goals as well. I,
0: she's, you know, she has just like 190-odd goals. But do you know she's like 39 years old or something? She, like, our
1: record would never be beaten. I... <laughs> She started playing. I, she was 16 or something with the national team.
0: Yeah. When I saw the 2012 Olympics, I thought she'd be like 22, 23, right? <laughs> no, she was like 29. She was old then. Not old, but getting there now. Is a phenomenal athlete. Yeah. Anyway, enough Christine Sinclair. Let's talk about Cristiano. So, Badr Mutawa, who I have to say I was not familiar with. No, I, mean, I thought he
1: had retired, to be fair. Sorry?
0: I thought he had retired recently, to be fair. He's still playing. He's still active. So, I love the idea of Cristiano Ronaldo, who has the men's goal-scoring record, obviously wants the appearance record as well, continuing to play as long as the guy Badr Mutawa <laughs> plays.
1: Um, I how old is Badr? What? How old is Badr? Did you remember? He's the same He's
0: He's like two or three months older than Cristiano. No way. He made his debut in 2002. Cristiano made it in 2003. Um, d- debut for the national team. I love the idea of, of Badr. I know, I, I, I how good would that? it be? If Cristiano just goes to like George Mandzic, like it's like
1: a dance off.
0: How much money are you going to give me to retire once <laughs> and for all? Okay, and I'll do that. Otherwise, these two could just keep going <laughs> forever.
1: Keep... And it's probably easier, no offense to Kuwait, but to play for Kuwait <laughs> than to. I mean, mind you, Cristiano can play for Portugal for as long as he wants, pretty I, much.
0: Exactly. I know that's a funny story. Croatia play Argentina on Tuesday night. Jules, let's pretend we're both Stuart Robson and try to preview this thing. Obviously, the favorites are Argentina, but I'm more interested in... If you're Dalic, how do you approach it? Because he was very clear before the Brazil game, okay, yeah. we have the best midfield in the world.
1: Yeah. We're just going to keep the ball. Hey, you do the same against Argentina. What would you change anything against Argentina? they a different team to Brazil, but still... The idea and the philosophy have to be the same. What do they hate? They hate running after the ball. Alvarez presses well. Rodrigo De Paul presses well. Messi doesn't press so much. I suspect Argentina will keep that back five. But still, you will be able to make them run if you're Croatia again. And, and I think... See, I, I'm not 100%
0: sure. I, I'm trying to think like Scaloni. If I'm Scaloni, I can say, all right, hey, boys... You want to go and play like kick about and keep the ball amongst the three of you in midfield, that's fine. I'm actually, I'm not going to press you, certainly not the whole time. I might press intermittently when the ball goes to the fullback or whatever. At some point, you're going to have to attack us, and I'm going to have my back five if I keep it or a or back four, yeah. and we're going to get the ball back. And then when we get the ball back, you'll be the one coming to us. And you know, guess what? We're going to give the ball to Lionel Messi. And you don't know where he's going to pop up. Yeah. And then you're going to have to get the old guy who looks like Cruyff to chase him. Or you're going to get the bras. Or something's going to happen and he's going to make something happen. True. But, and I'm okay with that.
1: But but even without pressing too high, Argentina will still have to chase the ball. And I think that's exactly what Croatia wants. I love – so Juranovic, the right back, was doing the press conference today. And he said it's safer to give the ball to – Modric, Kovacic and Brozovic and Milford and put your money in the bank and I just thought I had this image in my head of like <laughs> What's safer than the than the than the bank safe? Modric Kovacic and Brozovic. Okay, no problem. That's why you
0: should go with crypto.
1: <laughs> uh, I Have
0: a I have a whole bunch of exciting uh, Blockchain related product. I'm no, no, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Modric is obviously safer than crypto We can agree exactly. with that, right? Yeah, okay.
1: Neymar isn't sure whether he will retire from international football or not, but Gab, there's one president forward who would like him to stay, and he's a pretty important one.
0: Yeah, he's somebody Neymar might want to listen to. He is oh, Aure Pele. Yeah. Obviously he's had some health issues. Uh it looks like things are a little better now. Obviously at his age, you know, you just wish him all the best. Um I think Neymar would want to stick around. Why wouldn't you want to stick around? Why you know, what give so up on he, clubs? He
1: leveled Pele in terms of goal scores, so he's just one away from that's one incentive, one incentive to continue.
0: Um, but more than that, you've got a good vibe, a good group. Are you thinking in terms of cycle? I, and I say this with the greatest respect of Paris Saint-Germain. This is not a Paul Scholes situation. Oh, I'm going to retire from the national team to focus on my club football with Paris Saint-Germain. You don't know that. You I am Paris-born and bred, right?
1: Yeah, but you do, still don't know that. So maybe he the won't dude's do it. himself
0: power. It's, it's, it's not like I, I somehow think I don't want to make assumptions yeah. about Neymar. But you know, if I had to rank, you know, the things that he values most in life it's from, from third to first, football-wise. Yeah, number three, Paris Saint-Germain. Number two, playing for Brazil. And number one, his sister's birthday oh, every, every spring. I knew that yeah? was coming. Ah,
1: oh, you knew I that knew was, that coming, was yeah. coming. Jones, let's keep talking about Brazilian forwards. Where are we on Endrick? Well, interestingly, Gab, you because earlier this week, ESPN in Brazil like announced that there was an agreement found between Real Madrid uh, with Real Madrid for him to move to Real Madrid uh, so he can only do it from the summer 2024 because he's too young now he's only he's only 16 so that maybe the Hendrix saga could come to an end we know that a few clubs like PSG and Chelsea were also in the race to and
0: Barcelona him.
1: Xavi couldn't and ba- have oh, been yeah, more open about it yeah Xavi met him not that long ago but it seems that Real Madrid have won the race okay so you could see given
0: that Vinicius and Rodrigo aren't exactly old in no. a couple of years you could have an all-Brazilian front wow. line
1: that's With true. Mbappe coming off the bench. Oh, no? Kylian, Kylian has the, the front four of Kylian, <laughs> Vinicius. No, Rodrigo no, I think Mbappe
0: will be, backing, I think will be backing up Vinicius by that point. Oh, my word. Yeah. What can by the way, Neymar might want to score a few more goals because this kid Hendrik, not to put any pressure on him, you know, you might want to make it a little bit harder for Hendrik to beat your record in a few years' yeah, time. Yeah,
1: okay, maybe, maybe, maybe. And Gav, even more Brazilian forwards, Rodrigo posted a long apology for his penalty miss against Croatia. Was it necessary, do you think?
0: So I go on the assumption that everybody's trying to do their best, and if they make a mistake on something like a penalty, unless they feel guilt inside or whatever because they did something differently, if you did your best. It's not necessary. However, if it makes you feel better, if it's if it's if it's, if it's a way for you to metabolize the the hurt that you feel of missing a penalty, why not apologize for it? I, I got no problem yeah, with it yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. Let's turn back the clock to the Holland-Argentina game. Wow. Uh, a lot of folks were unhappy with the behavior in particular of Nicolas Otamendi and Leandro Paredes, among others. Some say it was a giant mind game that helped Argentina win on penalties. There's a guy named Geir Jordet, who is a Norwegian penalty expert. So he tweets these long threads about... He's apparently a guy who's featured in the Wall Street Journal recently. He's apparently a guy who who has who analyzes body language and all these factors. I'm, we've come across them. He says that this was the key, unsettling the Dutch and so on. Yeah. I've shared my thoughts on this whole psychology thing, so I don't need to go there. I, don't want to I, know, I, know. I
1: know you don't believe in it. What's your take? I, I was there, to be fair. I, you could see the aggro, you could see the beef. There's this incredible photo. Once Lautaro has scored, obviously, all the other players you know, are lined up uh, and the Dutch are on the floor and the herd of Argentine run past them and look at them and go like, ah, like clearly trolling them. Yeah. I don't know, I think, could you, have, could you have won and maybe be a bit more gracious? Maybe. I, th- I thought the Argentine felt there was beef with Van Gaal for what he said before the game, for example, and Martinez told him to to shut his mouth. Messi was not happy with Van Gaal, with Edgar Davids. Weghorst was not happy with Messi. So I think there was a lot of tension just overall because of the drama of the game and the scenario of the game. I think the rest, for me, the penalties, this is what... This is what, and we talked about ruthlessness before with England and France. This is what you have to do to win matches as well. This is not, not a yeah. care-bear world. And, we and have I to think, stop with that stuff.
0: I, I think some level of, of banter, of trash talk, you know, is part of the game. I have more of an issue with what Paredes did oh, earlier yeah. when he goes and he slams the ball at the 100%. bench. I mean, that's just... Yeah. That's just stupid. And I think if they are gonna deal with somebody for something, that is yeah. what you deal for. Yeah, exactly.
1: Sticking with Ruvan Haal, Gabi has left his post as the Dutch head coach. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, hundred percent makes sense. The, the 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 cycle is over. These yeah. people think in terms of, of cycles, I think. I I think with a with a limited team, he made his choice about the football he wanted to play. He took them as far as that football was gonna take him. I hope that going forward, Haaland have somebody else who's a bit more in line. So
1: the Dutch guy, because you know the Dutch guy is coming. So, No. It, yeah, it is the Dutch guy. No. Yeah. The Dutch really? guy is taking over. Yeah. You do not like that man, Kouman. No, that's why I'm so happy. You do not like Bring him it in it a van?
0: You do not like his friend Stan? <laughs> you do not like him in a house? You do not like him if he were a mouse? You do not <laughs> like that blonde Dutch man? No, definitely not. It's and Louis van Gaal is going to take over Argentina after the World Cup. Imagine, yeah, oh, time. Belgium, that would be hilarious. <laughs> Because for some reason, we're going to have a new ball for the semi-final. It's called al Khilm, which I have no idea what that means, so yeah, I don't even know really. why I said it, because whatever. Uh, you're the technical expert out of the two of us. Is this a big deal?
1: I don't think so. It's exactly the same one, different colors. Uh, so they did apparently, he has got it. speed, so he can, the ball travels faster. We play when we play here at the park with the ISPN brothers. We have, we, we have one of the, the ball from the, uh, up, up until now. And it's a really good ball, I have to say. I think this one is exactly the same. <laughs> so, I hope son. so, because I'm not, I haven't really studied the new It's just one. branding. Okay. Bad news for Manuel Neuer and Bayern Munich. Good news, good news if you're a PSG fan, if you know any, uh, Gabi. Uh, <laughs> because after the, after the World Cup was not enough, Manuel Neuer broke his leg broke his leg uh, skiing a few days ago and will not be out for the rest of the season. So, I thought that football players were not allowed to go skiing. I thought it was written... I've certainly
0: written in most contracts. There's a number of, uh, of footballers I know who specific who are big Me skiers, too. and I've said, "Oh no, but I can't." I because, love skiing,
1: but I can't do it.
0: Yeah, no, I uh, can. This is weird. Maybe because he's Manuel Neuer, uh, there's special rules apply to him. It's certainly not something you necessarily want to do. Is anything dangerous? I know. First and foremost, though, I I feel bad for him. Yeah, because yeah. No, of course. he had a horrendous World Cup. I mean, he had a really, really bad World Cup. And then to come back and know he won't be able to help Bayern, by the time he comes back, Bayern could be out of the Champions League. I don't know. I mean, do we feel... Are we capable of feeling some empathy and sorrow for Neuer? I certainly am.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I, I'm I with you at all. I mean, even if you can blame him a bit for going skiing, which maybe was not the greatest of idea, I'm sure he's been skiing many times before never got injured, but just one, one fall like he did, and then that's it. So... It's a strange one.
0: Now you know my belief that Inter are one half of the greatest footballing city in the universe. Yes. Um, Bayern aren't too shabby either, Jules, nope. and we have the statistical proof now.
1: That's right, Gab, because now that we know who will be in the semi-final uh, that we mentioned earlier, it's guaranteed that once again the final of the World Cup, like in every single final since 1982, there will be one player. Of Inter Milan and one player from Bayern Munich involved in the final. Which I find that stats incredible. Every single time since nineteen eighty two you have you've had at least one of each one player of each club involved in the final.
0: Forty years of excellence from Bayern Munich and more so from Inter Milan, which is why prospective buyers and investors in Inter Milan, <laughs> think about that. I can't that. believe you're selling the club. Think like about that. that. I'm not that. selling – yo, Steven, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not selling your club any way, shape, or form whatsoever, but just in case, you know, you might be looking for more investment, this is a great selling point, and it's hugely <laughs> relevant.
1: Manchester City have been linked with my boy, Theo Hernandez. Uh, is that what they need, Gab, left back? I think unless he wants to – play slightly differently,
0: I don't know that he's a natural fit, because yeah, I agree. Teo is much more a great player, but he's a north-south, go down Complain. the wing, put the cross in, take a shot. Look, I, I look. maybe Baudiola likes variety among his fullbacks, to be fair, because, you know, he's got Cancelo, who's really a number 10, yeah. pretending to be a fullback. Zinchenko was the same thing. He's got Kyle Walker who's much more, I think, of an up-and-down runner. Uh, but Kyle Walker is also much better defensively than Teo than is. That's so true. So it, it wouldn't seem to me like to be a, a logical fit. Finally, we have a date for when Olympic Miss uh-huh. will be sold, Jules, and maybe we can stop talking about John Texter. Yeah. By the way, uh, John, if you want to come on the show, you're welcome anytime.
1: Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Uh, December 19th It's yes. a Christmas present. So only uh, – so what? It was supposed to be September – October. Okay, only three months late, but uh, better late than never, I guess, right? If you're Olympic Lyonnais, they waited. At some point, they were very pessimistic about the fact that maybe this might not happen. Maybe that was a little bit dodgy. In the end, it seems that John Texter got all the money necessary for it. All the people around him in that consortium around the table. And now... It should be signed on December 19th, so let's wait and see. Signed on the line that is dotted, but let's wait and see. I think we have another podcast before the holidays. Uh, yeah. and We might be telling you whether this is done or not. Exactly. Arsenal have been linked again with Dusan Vlaovic, considering the trouble at Juventus, of course. It, that would be a good fit?
0: It was a very good fit when they were first linked to him, like yeah. 12 months ago, Jules. Yeah. I think it would have made a lot of sense. Now, I think it does in some ways. They're like, Like all things, you know, what is the rule that we know? There are no bad assets, only badly priced assets. That's very true. However, in Vlaovic's case, he's very different, obviously, from Gabriel Jesus. I think, look, there's no question, They need another striker. Do I like the idea that you bring in Vlaovic, he settles, he learns the system. I mean, he's athletic, he's tall, he's technically very good. He's had a bit of an up-and-down time uh, at Juve. You plop him in there, and then maybe when Gabriel Jesus comes back, maybe you can use Jesus on the wing in certain, yeah, day, certain yeah. games. Maybe you can use them together in certain yeah, games. Yeah. You know, it opens up a range of possibility. I personally think I like having a big man option in my teams, and Absolutely. I think this is something that, that Arsenal really are missing. Yeah, so yeah. it would make a lot of sense, but then can you do it at the right
1: price? Yeah, that's true. Girls, plenty of speculation about Jean Felix yeah. and his future. Yeah again, Gabby, but this time all the noise that we hear coming out of either Atletico Madrid, who I think clearly now also won him out from his own camp, which is George Mendes, Justy Foot, all of that is pointing towards him leaving the club in the summer in January, sorry, so before the summer even. The only issue I've got, Gabby, is once you've paid someone 120 million euros like that, right? And even before going into amortization and how many years Oh I wanted club. to give an amortization lecture. <laughs> but like how much how much can you really realistically now and this is serious, ask for Joe Felix who's still young and has showed at times in this World Cup how good he could be? How much would I pay for him? Yeah, or how I much if you were Atletico f- Madrid's CEO or sporting director, like you know Alright. I,
0: I, I think Jean Felix is a project. He is still a project. He is not the finished article. There is a player in there. Yeah. You need to find the right club for him that's willing to work for him and turn him into it. Uh, you can't be too greedy either. Otherwise, no one would buy him. I, for me, I I would, think, again, depends on the club. But I think if I'm Atleti and I get 60 for him, I am biting your hand off. I am very, yeah, very yeah, happy.
1: Yeah. I, I would have said exactly the same amount. Really? Yeah. Yeah, no, because a lot of people would have said, oh, but the prices keep going up. I'm like, yeah,
0: but... This dude's been stop-start. At no stage, at no stage, well, has he carried Atletico Madrid for more than a month, right? He's he's had periods where he was really good for Atletico Madrid, but then something happened and whatever. And, you know, he's not 19 anymore.
1: No, no, you're right. You
0: know, there is a player in there, no question about it. I agree
1: with you. And, Gab, we've been hit by two tragic deaths of colleagues here in Qatar. Khalid Al-Mislam, a photographer from the Qatari Network, Al-Haas, and Grant Wall, the elder statesman of American football writers and a man that you knew very well. Yeah, so with all respect
0: uh, to to Khalid uh, um, Al-Mislam, I don't know him. So I'm going to... My thoughts obviously go out to him and his family. Um, As far as Grant Wall is concerned, it it is something that uh, certainly uh, hit me, hit a lot of uh, us very hard. For me personally, uh, I first met Grant more than twenty five years ago, ahead of the uh, head of the World Cup in, in, in France in, in thousand nine hundred and ninety eight uh, we, we, we lived together at the World Cup in, uh, in, in South Africa. I had the opportunity to stay with him uh, and, and his wife in the states he, he stayed with us in london as as recently as, uh, as last month um, in November, and uh, before that in, in September as well. Um, and what I, what I remember most overarching about Grant was the fact that he was so kind. He had this this, this, this general kindness and this curiosity uh, about the world. Um, you know, you can make joke about sort of Midwestern politeness. Uh, well, you know, this is the guy who made his own bed every morning. This is the guy who was an Eagle Scout. Uh, you know, this is the guy who would stop and he would talk to everybody. In terms of the game in the U.S., he was obviously a a big advocate for women's football. He, I think he was one of the first full-time football writers in the United States, which seems crazy if you think about where the game is now. Uh, You know, Grant uh, had just turned 49 years old. Um, In fact, he passed away the day after his birthday. Uh, So we're talking about the 90s, early 2000s, and he was one of the first. You could count them, you know, literally in two or three fingers. So in terms of what he did for the game, um, I, I think is tremendous in terms of promoting uh, promoting the sport in America. Yeah. Uh, it's a tragic loss, obviously, first and foremost, for those of us who knew him uh, as a friend, as a person, as a guy who was proud of his quirks. Did you know that, I mentioned this the other day, but he was a kind of guy who... He had uh, toy poodles, and his toy poodles are named Coco and Zizu for Zedidine Zedent. And as toy poodles age, apparently, they often have dental problems. So Grant would be the one brushing their teeth every night as if they were his children, which, you know, not my thing, yeah. but Grant did it with such an honesty. and He talked about it with such an honesty. Um, it. I was just an absolutely remarkable person who who just touched a lot of lives right on that sad note i'm hoping people can take uh the positives of what happened um in terms of in grant specific all the lives that he touched but i think also the broader lesson is to go and to to spend time with with the people you love your your friends, your, your family members, and obviously work and whatnot is very important. Um, but, you know, those things will pass, whereas friendship, family, love will we'll stay with you uh, for a long time. We're going to be back on Tuesday night. That's right. That's In between the two semifinals, we'll be, uh, we'll be previewing uh, the second Semi-final, which of course is France against Morocco, yeah. basically a derby, um, and uh, and looking back, of course, at the first semi-final. So join us then, and until then, love the game, love your neighbor, and love yourself.